Father, thank you for bringing us together. This little expression of your kingdom, Lord, two churches, all generations gathered around our humble king, the one who took on flesh in order to bring us back to the Father. What a gift. Hallelujah. Lord, would you have your way in the preaching of the word? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, here's my confession to start. I, uh, for much of my life, found the whole hullabaloo around Christmas a little tiresome. Um, the, you know, the, the dressing up, I, I just, speaking of dressing up, I mean, the blazer that just walked in is worth <laughs> all of us. Yeah, I wouldn't have liked wearing that as a kid, although Christmas next year, someone, please. Um, so I, I, you know, the, the awkward gatherings with family relations who I, I didn't know that well, you know, people that you really only saw around the holidays. Um, the old hymns were a little wearing on me, um, you know, to me, and, and maybe that's true, kids, maybe this is true for you. All of that other stuff, having to go to church extra times, um, you know, having a fancier dinner, whatever, it just stood in the way of presents. I mean, that's the problem with all this extra stuff. It's just in the way of presents. And I'm glad to say that a lot of the stuff around Christmas has grown on me. Oh, good, Pastor. Uh, that's good. Um, I, you know, I love the traditions. We, we really lean into it down here um, with the season of Advent is is really important. I love all the extra candles, and I'm glad we haven't, you know, lit your building on fire um, at any point. I love the I love the extra meals. I love the prayers and the different rhythms. Uh, I, I love all of it. But I think the moment uh, where all of the traditions of, of Christmas are at their peak for me are when a group of people are doing what we just did, and that's singing. Christmas hymns, beloved Christmas hymns together. When, when we are joining our voices together, there's something that's happening. It's, it's an act of unity, right? We're all doing something together. It, you're using your, your mind, you're using your body, you're, you're working, you know, subconsciously, depending on how musical you are, you're, you're working to fit your voice together with the other voices, um, maybe, you know, if it's Reed or Stephen, you're thinking about which voices aren't fitting together. I don't know. You're probably hearing my voice like, oh, just uh, stop. Um, but yeah, that, that moment of singing together, that's what I love. In, in fact, we, we've got a, quite a number of kids here. Kids, what are your favorite, some of your favorite Christmas songs? Anyone? If you're le under 15, you can answer this question. Anyone? have a favorite Christmas song? You can just shout it out, putting you on the spot. I'm hearing little whispers. How about any of my kids? Do you have favorite Christmas songs? Pastor's Row? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Good, good, good. That's my daughter. All right, good. Any others? Any other favorite Christmas songs? How about adults? What are some of your favorite Christmas hymns? Oh, yeah. Squishmallow. 
<laughs> for a Christmas gift. Yeah. No, that the, we had some little drummer boy. Yes. It always weirds me out that that song is often, you know, the recordings of that song often don't have any drums in them. That's, I don't understand how little drummer boy can be recorded with no drums. But anyway, that's, that's a, something we can talk about another time. Um, that, that moment when we're singing together, it's a peak for me. Um, these songs echo through the decades, through the generations. They tie us together with our parents and our grandparents. Um, I, I especially love some of the more Advent-themed songs. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is, is at the top for me. Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. That song, I mean, dig into the, the words of that song. It is mm, so good. One of the earliest Christmas carols was written by a, an early church father, St. Ambrose. Ambrose. He was a fourth century Roman governor and also the bishop of Milan, which had become really the most influential city in the Roman Empire by the 300s. Uh, and Ambrose, he was part of an important movement in, in sort of church history. There was a group of of pastors, bishops, priests, um, uh, theologians who were fighting against a, a widespread idea about Jesus that the church had decided two generations before was heresy. It's, it's an idea called Arianism, all right? And I'm not talking about uh, an ethnic thing, but, but the teachings from a, a man named Arius. And at the beginning of Ambrose's life, when Ambrose was born, the teachings of Arius, they, they had the day for the church. The, broadly, this is what the vast majority of Christians, um, uh, uh, political figures, bishops, they had bought into Arius's teaching. Now, what was Arius's teaching? This is kind of an interesting thing for you all, but Arius uh, he was steeped in Greek philosophy, he, he, and it, it just didn't make any sense for him that God, who was perfect, unknowable, immutable, unchangeable, there, there's no way a God with all of those adjectives could possibly become a human being. That's, that just did not make any sense to Arius. He said there's no way Jesus could be equal with God. And therefore, Arius uh, taught this just subtle twist on the scriptures, that Jesus was actually the first and greatest creation of the Father. You know, he, he was the firstborn son, you know, the first fruits, and he, he kind of leaned into some of those scriptures. So he taught that, and 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 it made sense. You know, the, there are teachings now today that, that given the sort of common philosophies that are out there today, there are teachings that are a step removed from Scripture that a bunch of Christians get into now because it just, it's, it's our logic. Well, this fits Greek thinking logic. And so all over the place, people bought into it. And it turns out, do you guys know when most of the early Christmas traditions began? In reaction to Arianism. They were, tr they, the, they were trying to, to create traditions to teach the truth. But often the opponents of Arianism, they were on the run. They were exiled. 
You know, guys like Athanasius, they, Athanasius had to be on the run for a lot of his life. So the second wave is Ambrose. And Ambrose knew by the time he was a scholar and a bishop, he knew the integrity of our faith and our embrace of redemption. It stood on a razor's edge. If Jesus wasn't God, but rather some sort of demigod, then, then Ambrose thought polytheism had a foothold in the church and we would never fully grasp what God had done for us in Jesus. Only the incarnate word could provide atonement. The power of the gospel demands that we get Christmas right. It matters what you sing. It matters what you sing. It matters that you think about what you're singing. The way Ambrose spread the truth far and wide, joined a tradition that was as old as Moses, embraced by David, beautified by Mary, who we just heard her song, and celebrated by Paul. Ambrose wrote a song. That's how he tried to change the tide, to turn the tide. Here's his song. I think we have it up here. It's called Savior of the Nations Come. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to read it aloud for you. Savior of the Nations Come. Virgin's son, make here your home. Marvel now, O heaven and earth, that the Lord chose such a birth. Not by human flesh and blood, by the Spirit of our God was the Word of God made flesh, woman's offspring, pure and fresh. Wondrous birth, O wondrous child of the virgin undefiled, though by all the world disowned, still to be in heaven enthroned. From the Father's throne he came and ascended to the same, captive leading death and hell, high the song of triumph swell. Praise to God the Father sing, praise to God the Son our King, praise to God the Spirit be ever and eternally. Do you hear the rich theology Ambrose is giving us in that? It's a lovely doxology at the end, too. I mean, he, he wants, if he can get the people to sing the truth, they will start to believe it. And the, that same idea works in reverse. If we sing things that are slightly off, we start to believe those things. Because in times of struggle, in times of celebration, what do human beings do? We sing. We sing. We think of songs that we give in, our, in church down here. We think of the songs that we give as tools that are filling your tool belts to use in times of crisis in your life. So the first Christmas hymns were like Ambrose's, a celebration of God's merciful action and a correction of the error. And the scripture we heard at the beginning is arguably the very first Christmas hymn. Mary, during her pregnancy, sings this beautiful song about what has happened to her, what's going on. And her song is also, probably unbeknownst to Mary, a correction of a common human error, something that we always forget. You see, in Mary's day, as in now, the pervasive theological error that attacked the truth about God, the way termites attack a home structure, was pride. Pride. Perhaps we don't realize that pride is a theological problem. It's a problem in our ideas. 
as much as it's a sin of the flesh. Yeah, there's, there's common pride. We know like common pride when someone's self-centered, they're, they're self-reliant, they're, they, they glorify themselves. The, and, and we know about the rejection of God's holiness, his provision and glory. But there's a more subtle pride that gets into our theology, into our belief system. It's a pride that equates benefits in life with blessings of God. Thinking, because these good things are happening to me, I must have done something right. I must have impressed God somehow. And so he's rewarding me with, with a big bonus from work or whatever. We, we tend to, to think we are somehow earning better things in our life. That's a theological error. And Mary's song is correcting that error. We don't know much about Mary except she was a young Jewish girl betrothed to a laborer named Joseph, a descendant of David. And her response to her pregnancy is rightfully revered. I mean, Mary needs a lot of credit. Protestants, a lot of times we sort of avoid Mary because we don't want to sound too Catholic, all right? But Mary is worth a lot of great attention. I mean, who would receive the task that she was given with such humility and joy? Her well-being was at risk. Certainly, her imminent marriage was at risk. And, and if, if Joseph said, that's not my baby, then her life is at risk. I mean, Mary is in a very difficult position. The absence of biographical details, like who's her family, all we know is her cousin Elizabeth, suggests that Mary's family was just normal. She's just a normal Jewish girl. Just an average Jewish girl. She was never going to make it into the history books. Her family was never going to make it into the history books. There was no reason for her to be listed in genealogies or historical accounts. She and her family were faces in the crowd of the beleaguered Jewish masses. Hers was not sacrificial humility like Francis of Assisi, who, who publicly shed all of his wealth, you know, and got all of this attention and built uh, built a following. Hers was everyday humility. She took her lot in life with a servant's heart. And yet she had an encounter with the Spirit that is unlike any other human being in history. No other human being has had an encounter with God's Spirit and wound up pregnant. I mean, that's it's stunning. Mary's song introduced the tone for her son's ministry. It reminds us that comfort, wealth, and power are not signs of favor or righteousness, that, that our God is the sort of God who becomes poor in order to redeem the last, the least, and the lost. This is what he's about. This is the message of Christmas. The bigger corrective that we need is that God becomes poor. He is sacrificial to serve. The moment that we lost sight of that, the moment we begin angling for power and privilege in Jesus' name, whether to gain elected office or to control the decorations in your church, that moment, our deeply held theology has gone off course. You see, Christmas is a wonder because in the birth of Jesus, we discover a God unlike any other that's the God that we discover here. 
one who is willing to empty himself for the sake of his people. A king who would die to save his enemies. That's the stunning message of Christmas. Born into poverty, born into anonymity for us. That's why when the Apostle Paul is calling the Philippian church to maintain a pure witness to Jesus, he begs them to replace their selfish ambition and vanity with humility that treats one another as more important than ourselves, equating others' interests with our own. This is how we show the world what he's like. This is how we do it. We do it because God took on flesh. And that simple concept dictates our very lives. The fact that he did that is why we serve. And so Paul quotes what was perhaps the second oldest Christmas hymn. And he does that in Philippians chapter 2. Make no mistake, this is a Christmas carol and probably also a, a Good Friday carol. <laughs> All right? This is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and following. Paul says, you should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had. And here he begins to quote the hymn. Here's the hymn. Who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave by looking like other men and by sharing in human nature. Do you hear? That's Christmas, you guys. That's what he did. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a result, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christmas is worth celebrating because God em emptied himself and identified with us. C.S. Lewis says it well. He says, the playwright has taken the stage. That's what's happened at Christmas. Yet our traditions, they have taken a turn, haven't they? They've, they've become a little bit more arrogant. Lexus would have you celebrate by purchasing a new luxury vehicle for, her, for your beloved. I don't know who's giving Lexuses to one another on Christmas, but I hope you're also tithing, all right? <laughs> Amazon, Walmart, Best Buy, they're thrilled to, for you to take on some debt uh, to stuff the area underneath a, a tree that you've brought inside your house and balanced in your living room. You guys, Santa Claus, he was resurrected not by the church looking to celebrate the Feast of St. Nicholas, which is December 6th, by the way. Nope, Santa Claus was resurrected by Coca-Cola. Santa's red coat has a lot more to do with Coke's label than it does the blood of Jesus. I'll tell you that. And yet... The truth of the season holds fast. Like the fourth century bishop, the fictional twist on St. Nick still gives gifts to children in need, still acting in generosity. In my childhood, Christmas occasioned the annual story of a frustrated savings and loan manager who gave up his dreams to serve his family in a small town, learning that his often frustrating life matters more than he even realized. 
he discovers, in fact, that his life is what? Wonderful. We always watched It's a Wonderful Life growing up. In the place of the nativity, it's popular to sing songs, as my daughter enjoys, about a reindeer with an isolating physical abnormality who is chosen by Santa to lead the sleigh. A new generation of kids celebrates an orphan boy who's raised by elves who is untainted by the world's popularity, money, and power, and he restores Christmas by serving other people. Yes, I'm talking about Elf, the movie. Guys, the, the, the truth about Christmas still seeps in even to our culture. It still shines. Christmas is not celebrated in wealth and comfort, but in self-giving, in humility. It is the feast of the left out, the forgotten, the left behind. When the Grinch thinks he has stolen Christmas, the Who's, they just get to celebrate Christmas in purity, right? All the, all the distractions are out of the ways, out of the way, and so what do they do? They join hands and they sing. As Mary came to terms with the wonder in her womb, she burst out in song. Whatever else this baby meant, she knew it meant God painting his masterpiece in the theme of raising up the lowly and bringing down the lofty. Now, down here, we generally use the New English translation. That's what I just read to you from. Um, and, and I'm grateful for every different translation. They help us see it in different ways. And I love the NET. If you don't know about it, you know, look into it. I'm, I'm not, I don't make money off of that. I just think it's a nice, nice thing to look into. And, and, and they get a lot of things right. But in Mary's song, it opens with her saying, my soul exalts the Lord, which, you know, is all right. But exalt, that's the word for megalune, which means make great. What do, what do most translations say? My soul does what to the Lord? Magnifies the Lord. It's Mary's Magnificat. My soul makes the Lord big and wonderful. In the core of her being, Mary was magnifying the Lord as she reflected on what he was doing. Her life is on the line, and yet her spirit is soaring. We can respond like Mary. How do we magnify the Lord? Is it when we've received everything on our wish lists? No. It's when we've put our very lives on the line for the sake of others. The way we serve one another and our neighbor, that's how we show the world what he's like. Followers of Christ, you have a privileged opportunity before you. Every one of you, whether you are rich or poor, whether you are dependent on government welfare or whether you, you're living off of exceeding savings, every one of you is able to empty yourself for others. You always have something of yourself to give. That, that is how we live in celebration of Christmas. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the spirit, any affection and mercy, complete my joy and Paul's joy and be of the same mind, having the same love, being united in spirit and having one purpose. Let our very lives confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's how our souls magnify the Lord. And he offered us the true feast of Christmas, 
at the Last Supper, as he gathered with his disciples around the table, he stunned them, rearranging the Passover traditions around himself, around his self-giving. And so he took the bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Take this and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And why, did he, why was he born? He was born to die for us. He took on our flesh and he took on our sin and he dealt with it in his body. Here, friends, here is where we receive the servanthood of Christ to share with the world. So the way we do communion down here is we go in a line that, that wraps around this way uh, to your left, and then you can empty back to your seats this way. Um, you come up and hold your hands like this to receive the bread, and our, one of our elders, Chuck, will, will place it in your hands, and then you dip it in the cup. Uh, I have both wine and grape juice. I'll be holding wine. Just let me know if you want to dip it in grape juice instead. It's no problem. Let's, worship, let's pray together, and then we'll worship as we come. Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you've given to us. Lord, thank you that you, you didn't just go out and get us something generic, Lord, a, 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 an Amazon gift card, because you couldn't think of what we needed. You knew, Lord, that our desperate need was for you was for reconciliation, was for atonement. You knew, eternal God, that the only way we could be back together with you was by taking on flesh, becoming one of us, and bringing us to yourself. And so, Lord, at this table, would you allow my brothers and sisters to join together with you to receive the true blessing of Christmas, the presence physically of Jesus himself, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.